You're listening to 101.9 High FM. I'm Benji Shulman, and this is the new Blue Review. And if you're listening to us on High FM or on the Jerusalem Post, welcome to the program. It is good to be with you once again, coming to you on a Monday morning. Uh, hopefully, you've had a quite a decent weekend and are ready for your favorite show regarding Jewish current affairs and culture. And if you've been listening to our show for a while, you know that whenever we get the opportunity to uh, support or promote local content and local uh, people doing interesting things, we always do so. And I'm very happy to say that we have one of those on the show for today. Uh, we're looking specifically at music. And uh, today's guest is a sort of hybrid of USA and Israel and uh, we've had her as a South African for a while as well, and we're going to be talking to her about the music that she makes and uh, what she does. Naomi, Naomi Gottlieb Lieberman, thank you for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Now, you have quite an extensive CV, and you studied in Israel, you were a flautist, you know, explain to us what that means, you were born in Israel. Give us a little bit of background about your uh, musical career. Okay, well, um, if you are a musician, it kind of starts when you're born. Um, you know, from the minute that you hear music for the first time, you know somewhere inside that this is a part of who you are. Um, so I, I was singing from a very young age, but not in public. Uh, I was raised in a religious home, so I wasn't singing um, publicly. But I did start to take flute lessons at about nine years old. And then um, I continued to train on classical flute throughout my teenage years, uh, participated in the Jerusalem Youth Orchestra, that's where I was living. And... Um, yeah, that was my flute training, and then I started uh, to sing in public a little bit, so I, I had a couple of cover bands that I was singing with um, in Jerusalem, uh, and went to university, Bar-Ilan University, and I studied musicology there. Um, and then at some point in my 20s, I met my South African partner and moved to South Africa. And by that point, I was uh, performing on flute, and starting to perform on voice, did a little bit of vocal training in Joburg, um, and carried on to just continue with music in all different directions, performing, uh, recording, um, more recently teaching quite a bit. Um, I now compose and arrange and all different ensembles, bands, groups that I've been involved with. And um, uh, yeah, it's all colorful and interesting, and I love everything musical that I do. You've even uh, deviated out from the musical scene. You've gotten involved in a little bit of theatre, a little bit of uh, acting as well. Uh, is that very different different from doing music that you've found? Um, it does involve an entirely different set of skills, acting. Um, my friends who I was performing with um, in the area of theatre did have to do some training with me, and we had a very professional director of that show, um, which if you want to hear more about, I can tell you. Um, they did need to give me some new skills that I did not have just purely from the music world. Um, but there is obviously some overlap. Um, if you're talking about musical theater, then there's obviously the music side. Also just being able to stand on a stage and project your voice and project your yourself and, and be confident and give a message across to an audience. That's something that obviously overlaps between the two. Why did you start with flute? I mean, I think any South African child who's had to learn in music lessons almost invariably starts with a recorder, right? They always punish poor kids with those horrible things when you start off with music <laughs> lessons. So how did you immediately go to something like a flute? I didn't. I started with recorders. 
<laughs> okay, so it's no different in Israel then. Right. I wanted to start with flute right away because when I heard flute for the first time, I was so enchanted by it that I, I told my, my mother immediately I want to learn how to play the flute. Um, but at the time, there was no access where I was living to beginner flutes. Flutes came in their full size, and the body of a six-year-old is too small um, to actually manage with a full-size flute. So I was advised to start with recorder. Recorder has some similarity to flute, and so it, it gives you the initial um, you know, skills and, and knowledge of music and of using the instrument so that if you do want to start flute later on, you've already got some of that in the bag. So I did recorder for about uh, three years, from six to nine, yeah, and then I started the flute. And what is it about the flute that, that really talks to you so much? Oh, gosh. People say different things about the flute. Um, one that resonates is that it, it, it sounds a bit like the voice of the soul. There's something about it that's quite spiritual, just in the, in the sound of it. Um, the fact that the flute is played using your breath um, is also, in a way, the breath is the arm of your soul. I mean, without breath, there's no life. So you have to blow your life into that flute in order to make it sound the way you feel, the way you want it to sound. So there is quite a, quite a link between the human soul and, and what, what, what this, the flute ends up sounding like. And I guess that's what attracted me at the beginning. And now it's, now it's just my instrument. It's, it's just what I know and what I love and what I have the most access to. It's interesting you say that because, I mean, certainly where I know your flute skills from is that you play weddings and uh, and other Jewish occasions that I've, I've seen you at. And it does definitely lend to those kind of occasions which sort of require soul connection, if you like. I think it does really lend itself to those sorts of of occasions. It brings that that musical ambiance in that way. Yeah, it, the music, the, the flute is, is quite a versatile instrument. It can be very soft and somber and kind of heartfelt, and it can also be very joyous. You know, if you play, play it percussively, if you play sort of upbeat music like one would, for instance, at a wedding, um, it's got that kind of dance feeling to it. That's something that makes you just want to just be on your tiptoes and jumping off the ground. And um, yeah, and I guess those are definitely two sides of, of the spirit, you know, the the joy and the sadness and everything in between. And when you played at the Israeli Youth Orchestra, what was that experience like? I mean, what is it in Israel that they play as, as orchestral music? Is it just classic European stuff like you would associate with, with orchestras? Or is there a particular Hebrew culture or an Israeli culture that, that gets created around a, a platform like that? Um, from what I can remember, because it was quite a few years ago... Uh, there's, there's a bit of both actually. We did play some, you know, marches and waltzes and sort of more classical style music, um, from originating from Europe or Eastern Europe and things like that. And then we also uh, had some Israeli song medleys, some slightly more Middle Eastern music. There was another orchestra also that met on different days, but in the same building, which is called the, the Jewish Arab Orchestra. And that was for Arab and Jewish teenagers who played music that was very Middle Eastern in its in its flavor and used um, Arabian music elements and, together with Jewish music elements. And that must have been very interesting. I wasn't in that orchestra. I should have been. <laughs> but uh, at the time, I was only hearing about it. But that existed as well under the same umbrella of that orchestra, that organization. 
And at what point did you go from being a musician in terms of a flute to also doing vocal work? Um, it was sometime in my early 20s. Um, my religious path was shifting a little bit and um, I was uh, emerging out a little bit or venturing out a little bit from the strictly you know, halachic orthodox life that I, or family that I was raised in and culture that I was raised in. Um, and I wanted to use my voice in a more public way and I started to sing in public and, and I guess that's, that's kind of the turning point when that happened. And I, I hadn't ever trained actually. I only trained several years after that when I came here. I took about a year and a half of voice lessons. But, um, I still haven't really trained properly to this day. I mean, I, I need to, to train some more. But I, but the voice is really the most direct instrument of the human. I mean, it's like there's no more direct way to express oneself musically than by singing. So, um, that was bound to happen really. It's been a big issue, women singing in, in our community in the last uh, couple of years. Is it, is there the same kind of difficulty singing in Israel? Um, I can't tell you what's happening today because I haven't lived in Israel for 10 years, but, um, I'm saying with, you, with your process, cause you clearly, you know, this was not an easy thing for you to have done, or at least it took a step for you to, to start to move in that direction. Right. In, in Israel, communities, um, stick to themselves more. I mean, you, you get less, um, intercommunal, um, ceremonies or activities or events that, that involve you know, different kinds of religious communities like you do in Johannesburg. That's actually something that I love about Johannesburg, that there's a certain unity which just, if you're Jewish, you can be a part of this. Um, and I love that attitude. And in Israel, there's much more, I wouldn't call it segregation because maybe it's not always intentional, but it's just kind of organic. People stick to the community that they are a part of, hashkafically, which means like in terms of worldview. Um, and so in my community, it was not acceptable for a woman to sing in public. Um, but in other communities, it was. Um, obviously, the secular communities, and also in some of the um, less strict religious communities. And then, of course, there's the more strict religious communities where a woman wouldn't even play the flute in front of an audience. So it really ranges. And, yeah, you just kind of have to find yourself somewhere on that spectrum. And, and people move up and down that spectrum throughout their lives as well. It's not a stationary thing, religion, you know. And when you decided to start singing, you also sort of abandoned your, I don't want to call it classical training, but uh, you started off as like a pop funk band singer. What was that like? That was, um, <laughs> it was fun. It was uh, something that I could do in a more social way than the classical music that I had been involved in earlier. Um yeah, friends were forming bands and, um, you know, everybody loves some pop music and I liked to sing with words and words that weren't in Italian or German, you know. So uh, there's something just lighter and more accessible about singing popular music. But ultimately, when I trained vocally, I trained classical voc vocals. So I was training in, in French and Italian and German because that's, that's how you train classically, even in voice. And when you were singing in Israel, it was a cover band, so you were you were playing songs that other artists had, had covered. Were you singing in English, or were you doing it in Hebrew? Uh, most of it was in English, actually. Yeah, there's a big um, there's a big audience for you know international popular music in Israel. People they love Israeli music there, but they also love international stuff. 
Yes, I've heard that from some people that it's like the one thing that, that you'll hear in like the Palestinian areas and the Israeli areas and the Arab areas and whatever. pop music is actually a very big part of the Israeli cultural scene. It's, it's just Definitely. people listen. Definitely. All the radio stations. There's maybe one radio station in Israel that plays strictly Hebrew music. So you you were sort of you came out to South Africa. You met your partner. You you came to South Africa. Was that a big difference? A big shock from a, a musical perspective? Um, it was definitely different. I mean, everything about South Africa was different. Um, I found the South African musical field and sort of world to be a lot more spacious, a lot more open. Um, world music is very big here. So um, I was just becoming exposed to that really for the first time. I mean, I had heard bits of it in Israel, but it wasn't as popular and wasn't being made as much by the locals. Whereas here in South Africa, you know, every other person, every other musician is involved in making world music and um, um, or brings elements of African, you know, style into even popular music in so many different ways. And that was refreshing and exciting and very new to me. And also it just felt like there's room for everyone here, like just come and jam and play. And um, I don't know, it felt a bit easier here somehow. For people who are maybe not like musicologists, what, can you explain to them what world music is? So world music would be um, music that that is primarily made of elements of music that is, comes from a traditional source, from a certain culture and is specific to that culture. So if you'll have Middle Eastern elements, that is a, a type of world element. And then you get African elements in the music, African beats, African instruments... That makes world music, then you get, you know, um, stuff from South America and stuff from Eastern Europe. I mean, all over the world. Every culture has its, its sound, its instruments, and its, its rhythms that, that um, characterize their traditional music. And when you bring that into music, either with other cultural sounds from other countries, or even just with uh, any other kind of, you know, instruments, whether it's um, keyboards or, or some sort of beat that holds it throughout... It, it you can just um, you can make beautiful music out of that, but that's that's in general what world music is. I mean, I think on this station, the best example I might be able to give is sort of like Idan Reichel. Is would he be classified as a world musician? He would. Okay. Yeah. So if you've listened to some Idan Reichel, then you will know uh, world music, and uh, good to know that we have a good scene of that uh, here in South Africa. Uh, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back. Uh, we're talking again to Nami Lieberman. Stay relevant and up to date. This is 101.9 High FM. You're back with 101.9 High FM. I'm Benji Shulman. And this is the new Blue Review. And we've been speaking to Nami Lieberman. She is a flautist and a musician. And we're talking to her about music and some of the music that she's been making uh, just generally and in the community. And Nami, you've actually just released a new single. Uh, it's called Stop. And uh, it's sort of not really a commercially available thing. You just put it on your Facebook. Tell us why you decided to make it in the first place. Why did I decide to make it in the first place? You know, music writes itself sometimes. You don't always decide that a song is going to come into the world now. <laughs> um, the lyrics of, of the single stop, I wrote them 
probably, I don't know, seven years ago. Uh, and then about one year ago, a, a friend of mine who is a, a producer of music, um, and I were just talking about, you know, music and let's once make music together, let's try something. And then he just invited me to his studio and said, let's work on something together and bring one of your songs. And these lyrics popped up at me. And so I quickly composed them at home and then, um, and brought them to the studio and, and the song just started to emerge. And we, we produced the song together and he brought up all of his musical ear and talent into it. And, um, and suddenly there, there's a single. <laughs> so it was actually a bit of a long time collaborative thing. It wasn't something, didn't hit you in the middle of the night and then you had to like get the song out. It was sort of a, no. of, and, and give us a sense about what is the song about? What is it trying to convey in, in the message? Um, the song was written in a time when I was, um, I was, uh, feeling a, a certain pressure to, um, to be incredibly productive and to get my career moving and just to keep moving forward. And, and if I had a day that was kind of dull or boring or empty and I, nothing really happened in it, then that weighed down on me as, as a day not well used, as time not being spent properly. And there was just this pressure to just keep, keep getting stuff done. And, um, uh, and I wrote in the song, I mean, you'll hear in the lyrics, it's about, um, it's about feeling like it's not okay to do nothing and um, having to cope with that pressure that essentially I was applying on myself because nobody around you is going to be reprimanding you for, you know, hanging out. Um, but it was all from within and just these thoughts and pressures that, that chase me um, and probably others as well. These, these preconceived ideas about what's expected of me and what I'm expecting of myself. And if I'm not achieving those things, then there's a failure and... And um, just just trying to somehow um, work with all of those thoughts, feelings, pressures, and trying to find some sort of peace and and being okay with with um, just breathing and being with just being. Well, let's have a listen to stop now, and uh, you can hear Nami's uh, ability or attempt to just stop. Stay relevant and up to date. This is 101.9 High FM. You're back with 101.9 High FM. I'm Benji Shulman and this is the New Blue Review. And that was the single stop by Naomi Lieberman. And uh, Naomi, you spoke a little bit before the song about how this was a, a song about production or about feeling pressure. Is that something that artists are particularly prone to, do you think? I think it really depends on the person. It's quite an individual thing. Uh, who who's in your life? Keep putting these ideas in your mind. What kind of examples you were set uh, were set for you by your parents, by your by your peers, by whoever was your role model? You know, uh, if you got if you if you were shown an example of of being and that being great and that being fine, then perhaps you don't experience those pressures in the same way. And if you were raised by a you know, strong-minded, goal-oriented, Jewish, uh, slightly neurotic family, then ultimately it's inescapable that you're going to feel a pressure to achieve and to be productive and to be successful. And um, and as long as you haven't gotten there yet, then the pressure is on. 
Yeah, it's very interesting. Like like you always hear about Mozart and the piano, right? Or you have to practice seven hours a day or whatever it is. Right. So I think that that can definitely be dependent on your family. Now, let's talk about uh, other stuff that you've been doing other than actually singing or, or, or music from, from that side. You've been, we've spoken about, uh, involved with a lot of theatre, but you've also done a lot of, let's call it community work or work with kids. Uh, you have a program called Music and Miracles and that you've been working with in, in schools and in the community. Talk to us a little bit about that and the origins of this kind of program. I think it was about three and a half years ago um, where I uh, sort of accidentally fell into a locum job where I was going to substitute for a music teacher in a nursery school um, who was on maternity leave. And um, I just kind of found myself thrown into a classroom full of adorable South African Jewish kids um, in a school with quite a a, a Jewish religious um, uh, sort of uh, educational direction, educational line. And um, I was now their music teacher. And though I knew a lot about music, I didn't know a lot about teaching a classroom full of kids. And I kind of had to make it up as I went along. And luckily, I had my own children um, to sort of uh, have, have given me some skills of, of, you know, speaking to kids and accessing them and, and interesting them in things. Um, and And this is kind of how Music and Miracles emerged. It started off as just lessons that I was teaching and eventually I started to record the work that I was doing, um, um, you know, write it down, keep track of what I was teaching, the themes that I was touching on, the songs that I was creating for the class, um, the games that we were playing, the dances that we were doing, what music I was using and I basically collected all of this material. And then throughout the last three and a half years, I uh, I refined these lessons more and more. So I would teach them to another group of kids and another group of kids and another group of kids. Um, I expanded also to two and three other schools as well um, until it really became like a program, uh, a series of uh, like a full year long um, curriculum in a sense for nurseries, Jewish nursery schools um, that was really designed for, for this community, for these children. And um, it's actually been a hell of a lot of fun. The kids are adorable and they're so enthusiastic and they're so they they just give back even with their smiles. They're so appreciative of, of what we do. And I've learned so much from it about children, about just freedom and expression and what's interesting at that age. And, um, and we're talking about music for nursery school kids. I mean, are we giving them more recorders and making them blow on them? Or is it, well, how does it work? What, what are you actually doing in a class like this? So in class, we... Um, we do several different things. We do quite a bit of listening. Some of the listening is interactive and active. So the active listening is when we dance to the music or when we move to the music. Um, uh, some of the more guided listening is when we listen and we try and um, see what kind of emotion is in the music, what kind of messages in the music, is the music telling a story, is um, uh, what instruments we hear. Um, there's a lot of looking at pictures and learning about instruments. Sometimes I bring them real instruments if I have access to those instruments and show them in class. We learn about c- classical composers and how they started to learn music, like, like you mentioned Mozart before. We learn about Mozart and Beethoven and Bach. Um, and the children love these stories. They're actually fascinated to hear about that little boy who, who practiced all day long. And, um, and yes, the children also have instruments that they use. So, um, 
shakers and bells and tambourines. Um, I often, I'll also let them come and f- touch and feel my guitar and try and, and, and use that a little bit. Each school has a slightly different box of instruments, um, but the kids get to experiment with rhythms uh, using their bodies, you know, clapping and clicking and singing and also using the instruments that they have. And um, lots of dancing and movement, lots of singing songs. And of course, the Jewish theme comes in quite strongly. We we learn about Chagim, we sing songs about them, we, we enact uh, different types of activities related to the Chagim. So it's like a full sensory experience. It's not almost just about music. It's about uh, kids learning and engaging and just being for for a period of all time. All of that, everything through music. We also learn about nature. We we be nature. You know, the, we do everything from being trees and birds and animals and rock climbers to um, just moving completely uh, unassociated to anything and just free dance and and guided dance. And we listen to classical music and we listen to world music and we listen to Jewish music and we listen to South American music. I mean, I, I really try and bring a very wide range of different types of sounds for them to listen to and for their ear to just grow. Now, there is some music that's associated with this program. We're going to listen to some of it now. Just briefly explain to us uh, this first song that we're going to listen to. What is it all about? Um, Are we going to listen to Shalom? Yes. Okay. So at the beginning and end of every lesson, or almost every lesson, we open the ring with a song called Shalom. Shalom means hello. Shalom means goodbye. Shalom means peace. We can share a piece of pie. Um, and that repeats itself, and we start with shalom, and at the end of the lesson, we we, we say goodbye. Um, I find that repetition at this age, well, not only I find, I mean, a lot of research has been done about it, and repetition in the nursery school age is, is really the most basic way of, of learning and of bringing things into focus. The children know that the lesson is over because we start to sing shalom. They know that the lesson to come and sit in the ring and, and, and begin to engage um, because we sing Shalom. So this song really is, I would say, the flag song of, um, of the Music and Miracles program. Okay, so let's have a listen to Shalom. Stay relevant and up to date. This is 101.9 High FM. You're back with 101.9 High FM. I'm Benji Shulman and this is the New Blue Review. And if uh, you haven't heard that song on the radio before, that's because it was uh, fairly new to our repertoire. It's called Shalom. And uh, we're here with Nami Lieberman who helped put us together. Uh, she is the, what do you call yourself, the composer, the creator? The, the, the person who made sure that you could listen to Shalom. And it's part of this Music and Miracles program that she puts together uh, in Jewish uh, classrooms uh, all over the city. And uh, we're discussing what it means. So you've had Shalom. You pretended to be a tree. The kids are, are enthused. Uh, what other kinds of music are, will the kids experience during one of these lessons? So a lot of the songs on this this album called Music and Miracles um, are have a Jewish element to them because obviously you know the Chagim come and go and um, the in the Jewish schools they become a very central theme of everything that the kids are doing for for a good week or two at least before the the holiday actually arrives and so I've also created songs around it for instance we've got a song called. Um, I don't know if we're going to hear it today, but a song called the Arba Minim song. And it's it's a song about the Lulav and Etrog um, that we shake on Sukkot. And um, uh, the song actually teaches the directions. So it talks about each one of the four species, 
what it's called, what it looks like, where it comes from, uh, something about it. And then in between, we have a shake to the front, one, two, three, shake to the right, one, two, three, and all the directions in which you shake the Arba Minim. That's one song. There's a song about creating Mishloach Manot, you know, the, the parcels of food that we give on Purim. It's called the Hamintash song. It's got a, a jazzy feeling to it. And in class, we, we actually enact the, with our hands through pantomime, we enact the creation of a, of a Mishloach Manot. Um, and there are several songs that are about Jewish holidays, about Jewish activities, um, that, that get the children, um, uh, you know, sharing either their own engagement with it, like what you're going to dress up on this Purim, um, or, or how they're going to be, uh, active with, you know, engaging with the, the themes of the holiday that's coming up. Talk to us about this next song that we're going to listen to. What uh, role does it play in, in the classroom? Um, okay, so the next song we're going to hear is actually called Umbrella. And Umbrella... Ella, Ella. Not, not that one. N- uh, no, not that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Umbrella song um, is actually one of the children's favorites. And uh, I think the reason for that is because I bring an umbrella into the classroom and I open it up in the classroom. And for children, an umbrella is is like a, a an exciting space to be in. You know, it's it, it's almost like a little room. When you stand under the umbrella, there's a little roof, and it's a private place, and you can stand under it with a friend, and you feel really special. Um, I'm just guessing that that's why they love it so much. But they get very excited when they see that I brought the umbrella today. Um, the umbrella song is is a song where. Um, each child gets an opportunity to walk around the ring with the umbrella and choose a friend and invite them to join them under the umbrella. And then they dance around with the umbrella together for a moment, and then the one sits down, and the new child then has their chance to walk around and invite a friend and so on and so forth. And we obviously do it until everybody's had a chance. Um, the kids absolutely adore it, and its uh, I also love it. It's just its great fun, and we get some nice pictures out of it. And, yeah, and it's called Umbrella. And you don't get any bad luck from opening umbrellas indoors. You know, you're the first person to ever tell me that there is any bad luck in umbrellas indoors at all. <laughs> well, let's have a listen and see if there's any bad luck to, or good luck maybe, from, from listening to, to Umbrella on the radio. So have a listen to Umbrella. You're back with 101.9 High FM. I'm Benji Shulman, and this is the New Blue Review. And if uh, you weren't sure, that was the Umbrella song, the much cooler version than perhaps the other Umbrella song that you might know. And uh, we are with Nami Lieberman. She has been talking to us today about the Music and Miracles album that she's released connected to a Jewish education uh, Jewish education initiative that she's been running for the last couple of years in Jewish schools in the community. And... Uh, what does it mean and how does it work in terms of communicating with kids and how they can learn through music? Absolutely uh, fascinating. Now, you can actually get hold of all of these songs a- as an album. Is that correct? Yes. Um, as of this week, um, and um, I've just got to go to one more school on Wednesday, but as of the end of this week, there will be CDs available at Torah Academy Nursery School and Hirschlein's Nursery School and Sharet Torah Nursery School. There is a whole stash there in the offices um, that's available for distribution. People can go and purchase them. Um, uh, yeah, and you're welcome to do so. So, if you have a kid that has a serious uh, is a serious fan of, of 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 the work, then you can go and. Or if you've even enjoyed listening to it on the radio today, uh, make sure you go get uh, the music and miracles. Uh, 
a city. Do you find that the, the, the parents also get involved? I mean, are they kind of part of the process or is it just the kids? Very often the parents do get involved. Um, parents have often uh, come to me and spoken to me about how the children process at home what we've been learning in class. So they'll they'll be asking me what a certain word is, a certain term that the children learnt about that the parents aren't familiar with. Um, or how does my kid know what a glockenspiel is? Or what does tempo mean? I mean, this is parents talking to me about these things because the kids come home and they've learnt. And then they process and they sing the songs. Um, the parents have been quite excited about it. And definitely they're involved. Um, the one parent has processed with me quite extensively how how to reward her son for certain milestones that he was working hard at in his life um, by buying him his own little guitar, followed by another instrument that he really wanted. Parents consult with me about what instrument should be the first instrument that their kid learns how to play. Um, A lot of parents really do get involved, especially when a child is particularly musical. But even if not, just if they're enjoying the class, the parents hear about it and they, they they do get enthusiastic and they get into communication with me. Nami, it's been absolutely wonderful talking to you on the show today. Thank you so much for coming in and uh, talking about your background and the music and the work you're doing with with kids. Thank Uh, you for having me. Before you go, uh, we're going to play out with one more song uh, from the Music and Miracles album. Uh, Give us a sense about what it is and what it's about. So the song you're going to hear now is the Hamintash song, which I did mention a bit earlier. Um, In this song, uh, we enact by pantomime the creation of a mishloch manot or a shaloch manis um, the parcel of food that we give to each other on Purim um, we, we make all the shapes with our hand we, we make believe that we've got a plate on our lap we pull the paper in we pull the ribbon in we tie it all together and then when the song is finished we actually all stand up all the children stand up and run and give each other um, this imaginary parcel and wish each other a happy Purim so um, it creates a bit of chaos and lots of fun uh, when we sing this song in class and I hope you enjoy it on the radio as well well there you go if you're chalishing for a bit of uh, then maybe this is the one for you uh, Naomi Lieberman if you're interested in uh, getting her work uh, have a listen get out to all of those Jewish schools and make sure you purchase it and uh, the singles on your Facebook page yeah, my Facebook page, Guy Lieberman's Facebook page. Uh, it's also available on YouTube. All right, so there you go. And the single is called Stop. Thank you so much for coming in, and uh, good luck with the other music that you'll make, I'm sure, in the future. Thank you so much for having me. Brings us to the end of the show for today. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any compliments, criticisms, or uh, you know the occasional death threat, please be feel free to send us uh, Benji at Chai. .co.za. We're always happy to hear from you. Or you can tweet me at Benji underscore Shulman. Until next week, I guess the only word we can say is Shalom.